Well, we've been in a series called Good Ground, and this is part 7, I believe. Uh, let's look at Mark 4, verse 1, and, and read through this parable of the sower. Uh, we'll read the, the parable and then Jesus' explanation, then we'll get into some things specifically for tonight. Verse 1 says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in, in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop and, uh, that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if we skip down to verse 14, Jesus is explaining the story, the, or the parable he just uh, told the people. It says, The sower sows the word. So the, the person that's sowing the seed, that represents sowing the word of God. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So different categories of hearts conditions are represented by the different um, accounts of the seed falling on different types of ground, different places. So he's going through those now. Verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So if we go back to Mark 4, verse 7, we're going to read what Jesus said in that uh, parable about a, a certain area. It said, Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So this area, we've talked about some of the, uh, there's, there's several areas that these thorns represent. So then Jesus explains it, Mark 4, verse 18. It says, now these are the ones among, sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are the ones sown among thorns. Okay, so he's explaining there's several of them. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this wor world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I want you to notice the, one, the part of that. At the beginning of verse 19, it says, the deceitfulness of riches. 
So this is one area. We talked about uh, the cares of this world and the desires for other things. This is another thing, the deceitfulness of riches, that can choke the word. The word can be choked. The word of God. You know, we've said this, but just reiterating as we're getting into this, because uh, sometimes we have the concept, you know, well, God's word, there's nothing that can stop the word of God. No, that's not true. The, what Jesus said right here is the word can be stopped. It can be stopped in a myriad of ways. It's not the word. There's nothing wrong with the word. The word is pure. It's undefiled. And it will produce when it's given the right conditions to produce. But if it's not given the right conditions, it won't produce. It doesn't matter that it is perfect. It still needs the right conditions to produce in our lives. Don't you wish that it just didn't matter that God's will would be done in our lives no matter what? regardless if he had our cooperation. I wish that were true. That would mean we would just wake up and everything that God wills for our life would just happen all day, every day. If that were true, then any, everybody on the planet would become born again. It's because that's God's will, right? Everybody would be healed. Basically, we'd be in heaven. There's no reason to be here. Because God's will is done in heaven. Isn't that what the Bible said? That it, you pray that his will will be done here as it is in heaven. It's done in heaven. It's not done all the time on the earth. You just have to look around and you know that, right? Uh, you know, murders are not his will. S people stealing stuff, people, you know, uh, doing all the crazy stuff that we hear about all the time. Uh, that's not, those things are not his will, but they happen, which means... God's will is not being done all the time on the earth. And God's, not, God's will is not be done in, being done in our life unless we cooperate with him. Amen? So we have a part. Thank God God did through Jesus. He's, he's bought and paid for everything that we need on the earth, but it's not automatic. Again, if it were automatic, there is nothing more important than a, than a person being born again. And if God was going to make sure anything happened, if it was all up to him, that's where he would make sure that everybody knows him. Because if you, it doesn't matter what else happens on the earth. If you don't know him, then you're lost eternally. That is the most important thing. Yet people die and go to hell every day. So if God were going to just step in and just make sure his will were done and everything, he would do that, but he gave people a free will, gave you and I a free will, so we respond to him. And so this is, with the word, the word comes, but then it's how do we respond to it? What, what, how do we um, act on it? What place do we give it in our life? And then that, that determines what kind of result we see, how much fruit we bear. It's not all up to us. No, the word... Uh, is being sown, and it's our attention to the Word and what God has already done. You know, the Word is telling us what has happened through Jesus and what has been bought and paid for. So now we have to respond to that. And as we respond to that, then what God already wants to get done will be done. 
So we don't have to force him or try to get him, convince God to do something. He's already, it's, all the good is already his idea. All we have to do is say, I think I'll take that. Yes, I will agree with it. It's just like salvation. You, people, people are already reconciled to God, but they have to act on it. Same thing with everything Jesus has bought and paid for. It's already been bought and purchased, but we have to act on it. We have to say yes, and then that's when it bears fruit. We don't have to do the heavy lifting. It's not works, it's receiving. But this, this uh, phrase, so there's different ways this can be choked out. The word can be choked out. One of these things, it says the deceitfulness of riches entering in can choke the word. So this is something we have to be aware of. Let's look at Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Excuse me, I skipped down to... Um, okay, I'm reading it in the New King James. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it's saying you can't serve two masters. Jesus said it, right? If, it, if Jesus said it, it's true. Let's read that again. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or vice versa, else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's mammon? Money. Look at the NIV version. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Cannot. But I can. Somebody think, well, yeah, but no, you can't. Jesus said it. Look at the Amplified Classic. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, that is, deceitful riches, same phrase it used uh, in our main text, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. So you can't serve God and then try to serve money and all these other things that are associated with it. You can't do it. And we read in our original text, the deceitfulness of riches is one of the things that chokes the word. And Jesus is saying here, you can't serve both. Well, what is happening if the deceitfulness of riches is choking the word? Then that means it's having a bigger influence than the word. Because if the word had the bigger influence, the deceitfulness of riches would not choke it, right? So in this case, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about then in this verse if we start trying to choose between money and God, now this is, there's a lot, we've covered a lot of different things. This is one thing Jesus called out. We live in a natural realm. We have money as an exchange. Most of us either have, or right now we go to work and we earn a paycheck and that is used, you trade your life for a means of exchange, which is money, and then you do something with that money. And that's part of our lives. Anybody that says, well, I don't care, I mean, either you're totally disconnected or you're, you're not being honest. Because that's, that's part of our lives. And Jesus said, this part of our lives, if it's out of balance, will actually choke the word and we won't be unfruitful. So we need to know about it. We need to be on guard. 
So Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can't serve them both. And if you try to, now you, you're, your attention's divided. You want to do what God says, but then if, if money, and people, people get the wrong idea. They'll say, well, you know, well, I'm not totally after money. It, it just means that money and decisions associated with it, like it said in the Amplified, deceitful riches, riches, money, possessions, whatever is trusted in, along those lines, if that influences our decisions more than what God says, then we're going in the wrong direction. Then we are potentially going to end up where the word's being choked because we're actually looking at something else rather than God to determine what we do. And then the word can be choked. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6. Verse 6, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's go back to verse 9. Actually, let's go back to verse... Let's just read the whole thing again. Verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Do we all agree on that? When you were born, you didn't bring anything into the world, possession-wise. And when you die, you're not going to be taking anything either. Verse 8, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich, just read that as desire to have more to the extent that it would determine what you do rather than God. Because some people, we just check that off and just, oh, well, I'm not, I don't really want to be rich. I just want, you know, this. That's the same, that's the same thing. In fact, hold your place there. Look, we'll come back to 1 Timothy. I just want to insert this. Ecclesi look at this verse in Ecclesiastes. This was written by Solomon. Now, Solomon was a little bit crusty at this time in his life. But Solomon, uh, if you talk about rich, the guy was rich. The guy had everything you could possibly want. Look what he said. He said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. We'll read this in a few uh, different versions. You get the, more of the point of what he's saying. Uh, in the NLT, it says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. In the NIV, it says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Do you know you could be completely loving money and having no income whatsoever? And having nothing to your name but love money? Doesn't mean you're rich. It, it, it doesn't really mean the level. You can see from these verses, it doesn't matter how much the income is, if you love money, won't be enough. Doesn't matter how much you're making in a day. People say, well, it's just, you know, if it was this. See, it, it, it's, it's a mirage. It's always 
if I had more, that's a true, that's a sure sign we're looking at the wrong thing. If we try to be satisfied with that, it won't be enough. It will never be enough. And we'll miss all the precious things and people that we have already in our lives. Look at it in the CEV, Ecclesiastes 5.10. If you love money and wealth, you will never be satisfied with what you have. Money and possessions are not the primary thing in life. And accumulating them, certainly, that is not the goal. This is coming from a man that had everything, and yet he was miserable at the end of his life. If there are anybody that should have been very satisfied, it should have been Solomon. Solomon had anything you could possibly imagine, and he was absolutely miserable because he lost sight of God. He got his eyes off the right thing. He was, more, he was happier earlier in his life when all he had on his, uh, in his vision was God. He got corrupted over time. So the amount doesn't, isn't what we're talking about. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in our text, where he says the, the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness. In other words, they're not what they seem to be. They are a means of exchange. That's it. They do not have value in and of themselves to, to bring happiness. May look like it. Everything you see on TV, everything you see, you know, on the internet seems to be if you only had this car, if you had these new clothes, which change continually so that you have to get new clothes in order to look cool, which just takes more of your money you know, all the time, and you don't got this style, and you don't have this, and just so that you keep you buying stuff. And, but if you had that, then you'd be happy until the next season when you look like you're outdated. <laughs> you know, even the colors of cars, they change. And the colors of wheels, notice how all the stuff, you know, the wheels are black. That's because then if you have silver wheels, you look like that, that's old. You know, I remember when we bought a car when we first moved out here, everything was silver. All the, all the car commercials, every car, it was silver. I mean, the ones they advertise. You know, you can get them in all kinds of colors. But, you know, it goes where the main thing that everybody sees is a certain color or a certain look and changes. Nothing wrong with the automobile. It may drive fine, but it just doesn't look like it's cool now. It's by design. Well, so what's the antidote for that? Just have more money. Just keep buying. You just trading them out. The world will tell you that, but the world is not happy. We ought to know that. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. Let's go back to uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich... So now when you read that, you say, just desire to have more. Doesn't matter. You know, well, I'm not wanting rich. What you want, is it pulling? Is it, can I be content where I am? Or am I thinking, ah, got to get more. Antsy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So if we're in that mindset, we are setting ourselves up for temptation. Where's the temptation going to lead? It could bring us away from God. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare or trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts or strong desires which drown men in destruction 
and perdition. Verse 10, for the love of money. See, and you've heard it said, this verse does not say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money. Money is neutral. It's a means of exchange. It can be used to bless people. But the love of it is getting it out of place. That means I love money, and if it's out of balance, I'm going to make decisions based on money or getting ahead or getting things set. See, it's subtle. Well, I don't love money. I mean, I just want this, and I just want security. Do you notice it said in the Amplified, things that are trusted in? Money is, brings along the connotation of, I, well, I have enough, so I'm secure. That's not true. There's people that have tons of money that are worried about losing it all the time. See, if your trust is in, not in God, then you're looking at the money to be security. Then that's, that's out of whack. Now that I'll do dumb stuff because I don't want to lose money versus God has me and I'm going to trust him. He wants me to do well, but I am never going to trade my relationship with him for the stuff. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Again, people say, well, I'm not greedy. Greedy just means you want more, which is exactly what Solomon was saying. You just want more, and to the extent here that that can cause us to stray from the faith. You could say the word got choked out, Right? You're going after this, and the deceitfulness of riches is a mirage. I want more, and it actually takes me away from something that I have in God. It says, let's read the whole thing again, then we'll read the end of the verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That means they are miserable for, because of their decision that they made to follow money, to follow possessions, to follow uh, the illusion of, of it being trustworthy. And now they're sorrowful. Now they're, they're pierced through because they made the wrong decision. They got sidetracked by the illusion that money can bring, the deceitfulness of riches, and got it out of whack and didn't keep their eye on God. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, just a few verses down. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. This is the crux of the matter who gives us all or gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God's not against things. He's not against having possessions. He's saying command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. He's not saying command the rich to not be rich anymore. He said command the rich not to be arrogant about it. And if you understand life, you understand that's not nothing to be arrogant about. If you lose money, you have really lost nothing. I mean, in one sense, okay, you lost something. But not compared to your health, then you've lost something. Not compared to eternity with God, then you've really lost something. Money can be regained. 
It is not the most precious thing we have. Time is one of the most precious commodities on the face of the earth. You cannot get more. Doesn't matter what you do in a 24-hour period, you got 24 hours, and everybody gets the same amount. If you have infinite time, you can have infinite money. It is much more precious than money. You know, our relationships, our health is much more precious than money. So he said, command the people that are rich. He said, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. It's like, well, you may have some things, but don't look at the stuff to be your security. We ought to know things can change. Conditions change. And if our eyes are on things that money can bring or security, uh, that can evaporate. Not that that's God's will, but our eyes have to be on Him all the time. Doesn't matter. So if something changes in conditions or whatever, well, I still trust God. He's still on the throne, and I'm hooked up with Him. I'm not going to make a decision. I heard somebody say one time, you make a decision based on money, and that's the primary motivator, it will be the wrong decision a lot of the time. That cannot be the motivation. Cannot be the motivation for making a decision. Of course, we have to consider things in the natural. We don't just float through life. We have to deal with the natural stuff, but you don't make a decision based on money. You make a decision based on what God's saying, based on his word, and whatever he says you do. Not based on the money. Not based on the cost. You make a decision, well, this is the cheapest. That's a bad way to buy stuff. Yeah, it may be cheap, and then you're buying a new one next week. And if you're dumb enough to go buy another of the same thing, you may spend, get three or four of those when you could have just got one that was quality made and have it the rest of your life. You know, there's, it, it applies in so many things. Tools, musical instruments, buy the best you can afford. Buy once. <laughs> you know, otherwise, you buy once and you're satisfied. Don't, what, how's the saying go? Buy once, something, I can't remember, anyway. I know, in, I know in carpentry, measure twice, cut once. I know, know that. But I can't remember that saying off the top of my head. But anyway, you buy the right thing once, you know, um, and then you don't have to keep buying. You don't have to waste your money. Don't make decisions based on money. So he said, don't, verse seven, First Timothy 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, so don't be arrogant about it, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Trust in Him, who gives us richly to all things in, to enjoy. He, it's coming from Him. Good, they're coming. He wants us. God, I mean, think about heaven. It, the streets are paved with gold. God is a not against us having things. It's totally, he does not want you to get your eyes on the stuff and stop following him. But if you're following him and you have a lot of money, you can be a blessing to a lot of people because he's your Lord. And if he said, give it, you would give it. If he said, help that person, you would help him. That's how we're supposed to live. And then we have things in the right priority. Verse 18 says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay, a hold, lay hold on eternal life. 
See, it's an eternal perspective. When we understand what is truly precious, number one, our relationship with God, the fact that we can know Him, the fact that Jesus died for us, the fact that we can be in His family, more precious than anything on the earth, that we can know Him. Number two, that you can know people and love them and take as many of them with you when we go to heaven, more precious than any amount of money. Then we see that this earth, this life on this earth is very temporal. It's temporary. It's not going to last very long. All the stuff we have, it's going to be burned up. Eventually, the Bible says everything is going to be burned up. You're not going to take anything with you when you go to heaven. You don't want it in heaven. They have much better stuff in heaven. So when you start to see it from that perspective, we're here for a short time. We see what's truly precious. Then all this stuff is, it's something to be used it, money is a means of exchange to bless people and to live our life and to do what we're called to do for God. Now it puts it in the proper perspective. Something happens to your car. Not that it should, but it's a car. You know, it, it can be fixed. They make them every day. You know, something happens to a person, that's a whole different thing. They're, they're irreplaceable. They, they, we want them to know Jesus so that they can spend eternity in heaven. Well, now we can live life in the proper way. We understand anything that's natural. I mean, Brother Hagin used to said, say this. He said, hold the things of this earth lightly. Don't hold them tightly. Hold them lightly. You, don't, you lightly esteem the things of this realm. Hold spiritual things in high esteem. Hold the things of God precious. You never make a wrong move in this area then. This, what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sword, never will happen to us if we hold our heart right and we realize this stuff, there's never, never ever worth making a bad decision to get any of this stuff because uh, there are so much more important things. God and his things are much more important. So that, this, this will never apply to us. We'll go right past this temptation. It will never tempt us. We will never have the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. Because we'll be like, it's tough. I'm not making a wrong decision. Not that dumb. Jesus already warned me. I'm going after him. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes... Though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For, uh, Peter is saying, your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. He's saying, this stuff is going to perish. Your faith is much more precious than gold. And in God's eyes, much, much more precious. Faith is precious. When somebody looks to him and trusts him, that is so much more precious than you know, a ring or something. It doesn't, this does not impress God. The things that impress people do not impress God. A heart after him is more impressive than pretty much anything on the earth. Proverbs 16, 17 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Isn't that what we're saying? It's much better to get wisdom. Now, this is in Proverbs. I don't remember if, if, if Solomon wrote this particular proverb or not. But how much better to get wisdom than gold? Wisdom is much more... What is wisdom? Knowing how to act. That would include knowing how to hold things on the earth. 
is much more precious than gold. It says to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. In other words, making the right decisions is more important and much more precious than gold or, or silver. Let's read Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where am I going to look for my help? See, if I'm looking to a connection or a job or an account, or, then I'm, I'm, I'm saying, how is it going to happen? And I start to look at stuff and people. But when I realize that my help comes from Him, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, now it takes my eyes off the natural and puts it toward Him. And none of the stuff is important now because my help is in Him. I have the right perspective. Jesus shared uh, this story in Luke 12. He shared this story of this man that from natural accounts looked like he was doing very well, but he did not have wisdom. He did not discern properly. He did not see things as they truly were. Let's look at Luke uh, 12, verse 13. It says, then someone, so Jesus is speaking. It says, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So he's telling, he, he's arguing with his brother and he's trying to get Jesus in on it. Jesus, Jesus preaching. And he says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. He's trying to get Jesus to, to solve this family dispute. In verse 14, Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. See, why is this dude interrupting Jesus over this estate? Because he wants to get his part. And, he is, and Jesus is just zeroing in right into the issue. He's saying, number one, who made me the judge over, you know, to, to say what, which way this thing should go? Number two, and now he starts to teach against greed. Teach against wanting the stuff. Because this dude is obviously, he's, he's irritated with his brother, and it's because of the money. So he's letting something important get in the way, or something not important get in the way of something important. Verse 15, then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. <laughs> we all know that in principle. But boy, people make decisions every day like that's not true. And it's subtle. It tries to get a hold of you to where you start making decisions based on how much you're going to own at the end of the time rather than what is truly important. Verse 16 says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. This is his logic. You can't, I can't store all the stuff. I'm doing so well, I can't store it. What should I do? could give it away, could help somebody else. Nope, I'm going to tear down barns that I have 
and I'm going to build bigger ones so I can put all my stuff in the barns. You know, it, okay, so maybe you're not a farmer. I'm not a farmer. But, hey, I, man, my business is, is knocking out of the park. I got a savings account. I mean, I got, I guess, what am I going to do? That question is telling. I mean, the answer to that question, what am I going to do? Well, I need to just, I need to get more. I'm not, now, we've already discussed how, how we approach these things. Uh, if our heart is right toward God, God doesn't care if you're a quadrillionaire, which nobody is. But if your heart's right, man, look at all the stuff you can do. But if you're like this guy, this is the heart. Jesus is saying, do not do this. Because he's like, what's the option? Clearly, i got to tear my barns down and build bigger ones to store my stuff. That is the answer. That is, the, that is his logic. I'm going to have stuff sitting here because that's the end. I just need to have more stuff, which is what Solomon said. doesn't matter how much you have. If this kind of attitude uh, has us, we're just going to think we need more, which is not what this guy needed. It become very clear he is being an absolute fool at this moment. He's thinking he's going to have time to build barns, and he's not. Doesn't say anything about his family, doesn't say anything about his relationships. His focus is, I got too much stuff. Answer is, I'm just going to build bigger barns so I can store my stuff, and I have plenty of time to do it and plenty of resources. This is what I'm going to be doing with my time. Verse 17, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room to all, for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Problem solved. Huh. Verse 19, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. He thinks he's secure. He thinks his resources and his crops and his wealth has is going to make him secure he's got it made now i just coast that can sound like any number of people say if i hit this number with my accounts i'm good that's never the right answer it's always god what would you have me do this man is saying if i do this i've got it made and Jesus is saying, don't be like this. Verse 19, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And we don't know, Jesus is given a parable here, we don't know exactly the details, and you know, this isn't a, this is an account, it's a, it's a story to make a point. But where was that guy, clearly his relationship with God wasn't there. Where was his relationship with his spouse if he had one with his relationship with his children what did he do to get all this stuff in place to where he thought if i get here i'm all set 
What did he pass up that whole time, all the life, all the relationships, all the, the time, other things he could have done with this time? Clearly, his mind wasn't on other people. Clearly, it was like, I'm going to build stuff, and I'm going to be set. But he thought, I'm going to give all this stuff up to, at this point, I'm set, and when he thinks he's set, he's done. For what? For what? I mean, it, his, his, it's over. All the, the precious things could have had, the, you know, the, the moments with people, the, the serving God, all the things he could have done. His goal was, I need to get richer. And that, we, it can be subtle, it can be overt. We have to know that that is in the earth, and that it can steal from us what's truly important to where we wake up. It's a mirage. You think you're going to get there. For him, ultimate mirage. It was never there. And, G and God said, you were a fool. You, you are at, your life is over. And you're worried about building a barn. You think, how could somebody be that stupid? People in the world do that kind of stuff all the time going 100 miles an hour at something, thinking if I get there, and boy, they, they keel over dead early. That is not God's will for us ever. He said, just be on, be on the lookout. This is one of those things, the deceitfulness of riches. Again, don't have to be going for you know, super high dollar, just the deceitfulness of pulling you on to the next little bit, next little high. That thing can choke out the word and choke out the, the relationship with God and choke out the godly things in our life. And we can say, thank you for the warning, sir. I see Jesus. That will never be me. Lord, show me if there's anything in my life that would try to pull me that way. And we're surrounded by it. You have to, I mean, we got to know that we're surrounded by every ad you get is trying to get you to go that way. And if we think we're just impervious to it, we're already a sucker. We probably are, are roped in more than we think. We have to know that, Lord, that could happen to me, but, Lord, I just ask you to show me. Ask you to show me if there's any of that, because I don't want to go down that path. Lord, I want to use my time and my resources here in a godly manner to reverence you so that when I step over to that other side, I can, I can look and say, man, I, I spent the, I, I used my time and my resources on what was truly precious. Amen.